We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Ball loose. Give me one, Lance. Give me one, Lance. Stevenson ties it with 1.6. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly and hits again. Halliburton at the buzzer. Captain Kush with another one. Brogdon goes inside and Turner finishes. Halliburton leaves it off for Batase. Go, go. Good job. Oh, what a move by Heald. He lays it in. Heald. Hotter than fish grease. Drops it off to Jalen Smith with the poster. Jackson the catch. Jackson the basket. Washington again. Five of them. Pacers got the steal. Out running is Brissette. Pounds it home. It to Taylor. Taylor missed it. Tips it in. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. Halliburton going to slam it at the other end. Hey, everybody. What's going on? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden. Fachi is not going to be able to join me for this one, but today we have on from Bleacher Report, Dan Favalli. Dan, thanks so much for joining Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me back, Alex. Yeah, absolutely. So we've had you on a few different times, and uh, a lot of the times we talk about the trades. So uh, I think that you are the guru of the trade machine because I'm always enjoying your articles here on Bleacher Report with these uh, with these trades. And so you had a recent article that came out this week, and you had two deals that involved the Indiana Pacers. So let's start here with the one that I found probably the most interesting, and that was Malcolm Brogdon going to the Wizards for Kyle Kuzma or KCP and Ruby Hachimura. So you explain this in your article, and if people haven't read it, I, I encourage you to go do that. But just talk to me a little bit about why you kind of like this trade for both sides. For Washington, it's just simple. They need to put a point guard or a guard, a ball handler around Bradley Beal. That makes sense. And when you really think about it, John Wall was never even a perfect fit for Bradley Beal. Russell Westbrook wasn't. Spencer Dinwiddie wasn't. Malcolm Brogdon, who's been more of an off guard in the past, I know he felt this year a little bit like more of a ball stopper at times in Indy, but he doesn't need to play that way. Uh, that makes sense for the Wizards if you're not worried about his injury history. And then for the Pacers, it seems like, you know, Mark Stein reported that the, the Pacers have definitely left the impression around the league that they're going to trade Malcolm Brogdon. That is strongly word and language for April or whenever um, into the offseason. So my guess would just be that he's going to be moved 
They're probably not thrilled that he's on a $67.6 million extension that they just signed him to. Uh, and you look at the injury history, he's missed, I think it's it's almost an average of 30 games a year over the past half decade, and it certainly matters. If you're just able to sort of stock the deck with more wings, and if you are actually interested in whether it's they want to call it a retool, a rebuild, a reset, like taking sort of a lottery ticket on on Rui Hachimura while getting out of the, the long-term salary commitment to Brogdon, I think that has a ton of benefits. It really, to me, kind of rests on what direction they are planning on going because both KCP and Kuzma are going to be slated for free agency after next season. Like, are you doing this straight up for the salary dump? Do you view Kyle Kuzma as someone who could be a part of your long-term core? As Washington, I would argue Kuzma was way better than Malcolm Brogdon last season, so is Washington willing to even do that while attaching you know other money Tim to get Brogdon, but I think that framework and certainly the Wizards as a Brogdon landing spot have intrigued me for a little bit. Yeah, no, I think Washington makes a lot of sense for Brogdon just because I think Washington is a team that's they've made some interesting moves, right? And you know, bringing in Kristaps Porzingis, you, you pair him with Brogdon. I mean, that just screams be wary of injuries, right? So, you know, I I don't know if I love the fit in Washington. I think there's other teams that could make some more sense for Malcolm Brogdon. But like you said, it really comes down to what the Pacers want in return as well, because, you know, if, if it's well known that Brogdon is available, they're going to have multiple suitors, in my opinion. So uh, I think the fact that he was healthy, he didn't finish out the, the regular season playing for the last couple of weeks. I think that was pretty uh, a pretty big indicator that Brogdon just didn't want to play. And I think he was probably open to being traded as well, just so he can get a new landing spot. I'm sure he doesn't want to be in the middle of a rebuild, even though I believe that that was reported. He said he would, you know, be willing to be part of the rebuild back in December. I just don't think at 29 years old, it makes a whole lot of sense for him to want to be in that position. So with this trade though, I will say this, I've always been kind of enamored by Ruby Hachimura as a player, but last year did kind of concern me. Can we talk about why he missed so much of the season last year? And maybe once he returned, how he looked. Yeah, I mean, he missed a ton of the year, and I actually still don't even know if it was like a specific injury or if it was personal reasons because the information was so scarce on him during the season. He comes back, and I think when you look at him, uh, his three-point shot legitimately improved. When you look at the percentages a little bit, when you look at the the volume, but he still has a very poor shot selection. It's too mid-range heavy. Someone like him, if you want to put the ball in his hands, is going to need to get to the rim more often and the other thing here is just I don't know and I'm sure people who cover the Wizards specifically I don't necessarily understand what he is on defense just yet I don't think he's like a decided negative um he's definitely someone who's like in certain one-on-one situations has looked like he can be really good to super above average but it hasn't been consistent enough and you can go games without sort of feeling his presence defensively and maybe that's okay because if he's not being this detriment but where are you like positionally where are you putting him do you fancy him a combo big on defense someone who's going to guard smaller wings bigger wings I think there's intrigue in that mystery box versatility to some extent but to him to have him entering year four now and still be just sort of this like unknown in so many respects uh, it definitely makes it a risk and you're you're at the point where you have to start wondering okay like are we going to keep him around and when you are the wizards Uh, thinking about his next contract he's slated for uh, restricted free agency after next year Uh, you do have Kuzma already you have KCP and then there's the emergence of Denny Avia who is absolutely fantastic for them this season I think he's capable of so much more offensively if he gets the opportunity but just his positional 
uh, versatility defensively, just being like really sturdy and quick enough to hang with certain guys. It really showed. And so you do have sort of this luxury of a lot of wing type bodies to where you can look at this and say, Hey, can we sell medium or, or even low uh, on Rui? Yeah. I think that's interesting because, you know, Rui as a player, if he's living in the mid range, Carlisle is not going to love that. So I definitely think there are some flaws to his game that Carlisle would not be a fan of, but it, it really just depends on what the Pacers want to return. I think Kyle Kuzma, um, the perfect stat that I saw for him, I think it was against the Pacers actually, he was just like, it felt like he was killing them. And then all of a sudden it's like the fourth quarter came and he just started chucking shots and missing them. And he scored 27 points on 27 shots. And so, you know, I, I think Kuzma is an, in, an interesting player to a certain degree, but I also think to myself and the same with KCP, like do they fit with the Pacers and what they want to do? And, and part of me feels like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, especially depending on who they draft. I, I think that's kind of what's hard here uh, is not knowing where they're going to draft and who they're going to take. Because if you get a forward, whether it be in the top two, top three, or, you know, somewhere in the sixth range, like a Keegan Murray, do you really want to have a guy like a Kuzma or a, or a Hachimura maybe take away some of the development, de- developmental minutes from them? So that's kind of where I'm at with it all. Um, I'm just curious before we move on to the next trade, did you have any other trade ideas up your sleeve involving Malcolm Brogdon? You know, I looked at and considered New Orleans just mm-hmm. as someone who could use his shooting and who would be, you know, from what I saw the Pacers, Malcolm Brogdon was really nothing to write home about defensively this past year, but he would be a defensive upgrade over Devontae Graham. And with the Pelicans having their own picks, some of those Laker picks up their sleeve still, some Milwaukee picks up their sleeve, um, if, if Indy's really looking to rebuild, like you do have some salary matching tools there. Are they interested in Jackson Hayes at all, uh, especially if they're looking at Miles Turner trades? That's a team I sort of circled. What became interesting about Mal- Malcolm Brogdon very quickly while I was going through this thought exercise was there you can make a case that he would fit anywhere, but like there's no team that I look at and say, oh, they really need Malcolm Brogdon. I thought about Toronto for a minute, but they probably need someone who's just a little bit more deft at running the offense in the half court. Uh, I considered Atlanta, but DeLon Wright should be cheaper and it's just much better defensively if you want to get Trey Young moving off the ball next year then yeah maybe Brogdon makes sense but to play those two together that could be a defensive nightmare as well so there there are plenty of teams that I think would be willing to trade for Malcolm Brogdon but I just couldn't find the ones that I knew would give up like stuff that the and players that the Pacers would would actually want and even the teams that you think like oh like imagine Malcolm Brogdon in uh like with the Clippers that is something that could absolutely work uh, at the same time, Indy has to be like really high on Terrence Mann or, you know, Brandon Ball. And Terrence Mann is good. So I actually wouldn't necessarily hate that for the Pacers, but you need the Clippers to one, be willing to trade Terrence Mann. And two, uh, for another, you know, sort of injury addled player when they already have Kawhi there, by the way. Yeah. And then you need to put other money onto it too. So there's Marcus Morris Sr. there, but you're not dealing with like first round pick compensation or anything. That was the other challenge is I don't think that, and if they do, I don't think it'll be like a, even close to a good first pick. I don't see Malcolm Brogdon necessarily commanding first round equity Um, as someone who scales to pretty much anywhere. I totally get how he could help, but just with the injury history, uh, I would argue he's, you know, even at his best uh, to a team, he's worth whatever he signed for, but to a team, I don't think they're going to view three years and 67 plus million as a value contract. And so this is just, 
it was a very challenging thought exercise more so than I thought it could be in large part because I didn't want to be proposing trades where the Pacers were getting jack shit for a player that's actually really useful. Yes. One team that you left out that I think could make some sense, depending on the direction that they decide to go is the New York Knicks. And I know um, we talked a little bit off air and you said that you wouldn't be opposed to the Knicks going maybe a little bit younger, kind of going to rebuild. They've already got some young guys there that makes some sense, but knowing New York, knowing their uh, desires to win, uh, it could make sense, especially if they're not able to land a guy like Jalen Brunson and a sign and trade in the offseason. So um, do you like the fit at all with, with Brogdon going to a team like New York and maybe in return the Knicks get rid of one of those bad contracts like an Evan Fournier, but also attach some type of pick uh, or pick package to go with it? I don't hate it. Um, I think he kind of like fits the motif of New York straddling just the absolute middle. And that's not what they should be doing. And, you know, if it's, if you're giving up Evan Fournier, Malcolm Brogdon has more guaranteed money left on his deal than Evan Fournier at this point. And so you do have to think about that. And Malcolm Brogdon's going to invariably take away on ball reps from RJ Barrett, Emmanuel quickly, maybe whoever you get in the lottery this year, Derek Rose is still floating around in New York as well. And Alec Burks. So it starts to get crowded really quickly. None of those players, aside from RJ and maybe quickly, should necessarily dictate what you're doing on the, the market. But short of Julius Randle being involved in that trade, I don't know what Malcolm Brogdon does to elevate the Knicks in terms of their actual play on the court too much. Like, he makes them better. I just don't think a ton better. Or what he does to sort of um, alleviate or rather increase their, their financial flexibility moving forward. Yeah, mm, that's interesting. To me, a little bit, I feel like we kind of undersell Brogdon on court, what he brings to the table. I think part of the reason why is because of the injuries, and I think he actually did have a dip in the shooting percentages this year as well, but I'm not sure how much that had to do with the offense they were running. I, I, I'm just trying to figure out what is the best, you know, what is the best available, what is the best asset Mal Malcolm Brogdon can get you back? Because it's like, you look at all these things, it's like, is he really worth this? Probably not. But, you know, would you rather have him over a Fournier? Sure. Would you be willing to give up maybe the Mavericks pick plus Fournier for him? Um, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and, you know, we know this better, you know, you know this better than I do. But even if Brogdon goes there for a three with on a three year contract, if there's an expiring contract left on his deal, they could easily move that. He'd only be 31, 32 years old. So it's not like he'd be super old and it's not like it's a crazy expensive contract. So um, I think also if you did trade for him, I think more teams would be interested in trying to trade for him than an Evan Fournier as well, just because of what Brogdon is as an overall player. So that, that to me is what I think is the most interesting debate about Brogdon. Just trying to figure out what his actual value is because We've seen where he can be, benef you know, super beneficial to a team like he was in Milwaukee. But mm -hmm. also, I think if you look at him with Indiana, especially with Oladipo being injured um, and then him kind of having to be like the lead ball handler, like it almost showed like what his limitations were as the lead guy. So personally, I think him playing off ball makes the most sense, but also being able to run the point at times could be beneficial to him and the team that he goes to. Yeah, certainly having him as a lead ball handler in spurts can be super useful. Uh, you know, he might have, I think you can argue pretty easily, like, had they not gone the Karis LeVert route in the first place, Cleveland would have been a nice destination for Brogdon. Yeah. You kind of have to wonder, maybe they'd be open to looking at that. <laughs> you know, uh, we obviously have that pick, like they're at pick 14. What if they were like, okay, well, 
we'll take off uh, the protection of the pick, give it to you for Brogdon, and then and then give salary back. But <laughs> I don't know if they could trade Levert back to the Pacers. I don't know if that actually worked, but uh, it would be very interesting. Or get a three-team trade involved, and you maybe you ship Levert somewhere else because uh, I didn't necessarily love the Levert fit. Obviously, Kevin Love is a contract that probably could be included there. Do the Pacers really want to take on Love? I don't necessarily see them wanting to do that. Um, and is love, you know, is it worth giving up love because of what he meant to the team this year for the Cavs? So that's an interesting one, but I, I don't, I don't know if they'd be willing to do that trade. Uh, Cleveland is uh, Cleveland wise. I don't know if they'd be willing to go and get Brogdon, but uh, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if they wanted to punt on Levert because I did not love the Levert and Cleveland experience. Yeah, it was still early there, and he had some nice moments, but it was definitely touch and go. Uh, I'm just very curious to see. They have Colin Sexton in restricted free agency. There'll probably be sign and trade scenarios on the table to them. So yeah. available to them. So do they go that route to try and get someone for him? Uh, or are they just going to keep him and, and have Levert plus Sexton plus Garland in the same rotation? They also could, you know, maybe there are teams, um, including the Pacers, like if you are rebuilding, getting Isaac Okoro's defense and then trying to sort of fix his jumper, knowing that he has some ball skills on offense. That's something you can consider as an asset. Again, just after the Levert trade, if you're also not trading him or Levert, um, him or Colin Sexton in the process of getting Brogdon, I don't think it makes too much sense. But now that Brogdon's so readily available, you look at Cleveland, like before the Levert trade, like Brogdon made to, makes to me more sense than, than Levert did. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about it. So um, another team, real quick, before I move on, I think Denver could make some sense too. Obviously, I know they have Murray. They've got Michael Porter Jr., but I just feel like he could fit pretty well in that Denver system next to a guy like Jokic. But at the same time, what would they be willing to trade back? Yeah, I honestly have uh, no idea, and especially because I think like their priority, since they they uh, we're just going to assume that MPJ and Murray are coming back, needs to just be like getting some lockdown point of attack defense. And I just don't think that Malcolm Brogdon fits that bill. And so it feels like even if they were to make a move. Uh, one, I don't know like what assets they have Indy would really want. Uh, they have pick commitments that go out pretty far. Does Indy really like Zeke Naji? They're definitely not giving up Bones Highland for, for Malcolm Brogdon. And so like you're getting into like Will Barton and Zeke Naji and ancillary assets for Brogdon. I don't yeah. know what that does for the Pacers. I also actually honestly don't know how much better it makes uh, Denver either. Mm, interesting. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So let's move on. I think that's enough Malcolm Brogdon trade chatter for the time being and move over to an, a guy that's been constantly involved in rumors 
for the past four years. He's in a contract year this year. Miles Turner, you actually threw out a trade that I kind of had brought up on this podcast. I did not have TJ McConnell involved in it. Um, I think I had Buddy Heald instead, but you have Gordon Hayward, PJ Washington, and the number 15 pick going to the Pacers for Miles Turner and TJ McConnell. Talk to me about this trade. This one's tough. I feel like, can we just get Gordon Hayward in Indiana already? Jesus Christ. Uh, Man, you're going to make so many listeners mad right now. There are so many people out on Gordon Hayward. Uh, Every time I bring him up, I get tweets about how I'm obsessed with him and (laughs) how they don't want him anywhere near the Pacers. So uh, anyway, continue. I'm sorry. What's so tough to read about the Pacers is you need to know what direction they're going in. Because no, I don't think they can trade Miles Turner and be a better team. But what they've done historically is even when they're moving really good players, they're not trying to bottom out. And so if you're not trying to bottom out, Gordon Hayward makes sense. If you're trying to bottom out, then it's, okay, maybe Kelly Oubre Jr.'s expiring contract is more interesting to you than than Hayward. And so, like, sort of the meat and potatoes of this deal is P.J. Washington and then one of Charlotte's picks. Are they, you know, would they give you their projected lottery pick? It's tough to say without knowing where it will fall. It'll probably be at number 13. Is that really a material difference from number 15? Uh, you tagged me in a tweet where I think someone screenshotted the trades from the article and there were people responding saying like they weren't happy with this value for Miles Turner. I do believe it's fair to quibble over uh, whether you want the final two years of Hayward's contract. Again, that does feel really dependent on Indy's direction, but you also have to recognize that Turner's coming off a semi-major injury and about to get a new contract. So that does inherently drive down his value a tick. And so if you're getting a lottery pick or like basically the equivalent of it plus PJ Washington, who is for all his shortcomings is very plug and play Mm -hmm. on offense. And he did survive like some small ball units in Charlotte and hung tough defensively, even though again, a lot of those units also bottomed out. That's not bad value. If If you want financial flexibility on top of it, there are other things that Charlotte can offer, or maybe you really like, you know, do you want to take on Terry Rozier or if you're taking on the Hayward or Rozier contracts, is Charlotte willing to throw in someone or something else like a Kai Jones or a, or a James book Knight who, you know, I think he's redundant with Duarte and Halliburton there and certainly Brogdon, but so many people were just out on him after a rookie year in which he didn't really play much. So there are other uh, permutations to this trade. Uh, It was just the Hayward one. If you're Charlotte and you're about to pay miles bridges and I doubt Indy would really want to sign and trade with him. uh, But if you're going to pay miles bridges, uh, you already paid Terry Rozier. You technically have Hayward on the books. And then you do have to think about Mellow Ball's extension in the summer of 2023. I don't know how many big deals you're willing to carry. And so it's, can you yeah. sweeten the trade enough to include one of your bigger salaries, them being either Rozier or Hayward. And I chose Hayward just because he's, he's on a shorter term deal than Rozier is. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. And obviously he's from Indiana, so he wouldn't mind being here back home where he grew up playing basketball and went to school and college and uh, high school, obviously. So, yeah, I mean, the Gordon Hayward ties always make sense when it comes to, you know, people matching him up with the Pacers. And, you know, I think the biggest thing is, is like, can you sell Herb Simon on, Hey, we're going to go trade for a guy that's once was really good and Gordon Hayward, but has had injury issues the last three to four or five years, whatever of his career. And, we're going to be paying him 30 plus million dollars. Is he going to sign off on that? Is he going to say, okay, I'll, I'll do this. And for me, I've always kind of pushed back against that narrative and thought you're not really trading for Hayward. You're trading for PJ Washington plus this pick. And with that pick, you could be drafting Miles Turner's replacement. If you really feel like, you know, a guy like Mark Williams from Duke could be a starting center, or if you believe in Isaiah Jackson as a starting center moving forward, I think that's what you're going to have to have to look at here. But 
I think it'd be so dirty by Charlotte to finally get an elite level rim protector in Turner after firing Borrego. That's <laughs> just like, that's just like, come on, like really? Like that's what you're going to do to that guy? Like I, I kind of felt bad for him when he got fired because really the limitations on this roster were very glaring. And the fact that he was able to do what he did with them, I thought was impressive to a certain degree. Oh, I don't. Our YouTube comments are a mess right now on the Hardwood Knox YouTube channel because we defended Borrego. And <laughs> my whole thing very quickly on that is it's fine if you don't think he was the coach or if you thought like it's okay to move on because he lost the locker room or something. But you're saying mm. you're effect. A lot of people are effectively saying that there are coaches who could have done a better job. Tell me which coaches. Tell me if they're available and tell me what they could have done differently with this roster that gave him Mason Plumley, Montrez Harrell, and PJ Washington is his primary centers. And you yeah. need some JT Thor sprinkled in there. So uh, again, he's not, I don't know that he's an elite coach. I do think some of the young guys made strides under him and the coaching staff in general, but to just think that he was the issue there, unless he really wasn't connecting with the players, there's, you know, you can get into his rotations, but there just weren't alternatives there. So, um, and really quickly, the other thing you sort of mentioned is like, there are other permutations to this for Indiana specifically. Like you could very easily, if they're looking to get rid of Buddy Heald, you can figure out a way to fold his salary into this deal here. And so Miles Turner to Charlotte is just the, like that's the the other scenario. I, I make the joke about, let's get Gordon Hayward to Indiana already with all the times he's been linked there. Miles Turner's been linked to Charlotte, it feels like, since he came into the league. Yeah, and that's and that's what's so interesting too because it's like, I like the idea of uh, of Turner and Charlotte for their team and how they're built right now, especially if they keep Bridges and you have LaMelo in, involved in that. Um, obviously, I don't think Terry Rozier is worth a long-term contract and a long-term investment. Um, same with Hayward. Like, while it would have been interesting to see what he looked like under Bjorkman with uh, Sabonis on the roster and, and get really good offensively, I, I just feel like, you know, it, it didn't work out. And so now you kind of have to move past that. It's, it's been two years now, so – it's, it's one of those things where I threw out another trade idea with Charlotte, and I, and I talked about this on the podcast, and I'm curious your thoughts. I said Ubre Plumley and a pick for Miles Turner instead. Um, obviously, you're not helping them get off the Hayward contract, and you're probably getting someone a little bit uh, maybe that fits a little bit better than Hayward and Ubre uh, as, as a wing player. But obviously, Plumley would just be uh, a transitional piece that you really wouldn't invest in long term. You're just doing it to match salaries but you're really just looking at getting that pick, especially if they're unwilling to part ways with Washington and you don't want to take on that Hayward contract. Yeah. I mean, if I'm Charlotte, I'm doing that in a heartbeat. Yeah. I was trying to find a way to get Indiana, a young player and a pick, but if they're willing to do it for a pick and just added flexibility, then Charlotte should absolutely be, be pouncing on it. Provided, yeah. you know, their lottery pick doesn't end up like being in the, the top four. Yeah. It'd be interesting. I mean, you, you might even be, if you're the Pacers, you might even ask for both 13 and 15 and then give them 31, which is the, the first round pick in the, the first, yeah, the second round pick, first pick in the second round uh, from Houston. And, and that would still give them some flexibility to, you know, maybe use that pick to take a guy that that could fit their, you know, fit their roster. But it's just really hard to figure out the perfect Turner trade. And I know that there's a lot of different stuff out there. For me, every time I talk about Turner trades, people get mad at me thinking that, I, uh, I'm just absolutely out on him. But, you know, when it comes down to it, his name has been rumored the most. So it's been the most name we've talked about because, you know, while Turner definitely has some upside to his game, there are definitely limitations. And I don't think you can just completely ignore what he struggles with. And also, I think that you really do have to consider 
his injuries and, and how that has kind of derailed the last couple of seasons for him, what does that mean going forward? You know, because that's a big question mark. For sure. And look, his contract's up uh, after next season. So how much do you want to pay a non-superstar big? That's it's a it's a tough question the rest of the league is trying to figure out right now. Miles Turner is, you know, as close as you can get to being uh, a full-fledged star without probably being that star. Like, yes, he's someone who could, before anyone gets too angry, like in any given season, Miles Turner can be an all-star. Let me make that clear. But he is not like, you're not building a contender around Miles Turner because he just doesn't give you that value on offense. And if you're a team that's going into a rebuild, he is 26. If you're nervous about his next contract that I assume is going to pay him appreciably more than the $18 million a year extension he signed uh, way back when, that's something Indiana has to functionally consider as well. And the, the final one would just be like, there's been so much smoke around his name for so long that there just can't not be a fire. And maybe that changes a little bit because they finally moved Domas bonus. I don't think they need to move Turner. I want to make that clear, but it just feels yeah. like his name has been floating around the ether even past the Sabonis trade that it's something uh, worth talking about. And because the Pacers have, what should be, you know, is slated right now if the draft lottery odds hold to be a, a top five pick. It's sort of like the perfect pivot point for them. Yeah, and I, and I think it could be beneficial for Turner too, like I said, if he doesn't want to be a part of a rebuild because that's the biggest thing. Turner and the front office have to decide, is he willing to stay here long-term? Does he really want to be here long-term? He can say it all he wants to the media. We've heard NBA players tell the media and the fans whatever they want to hear to – keep their name in good graces, right? Uh, I mean, Paul George is a prime example here. It says he wants to win a championship with the Pacers. Two days later, request a trade. So, you know, obviously it's like we have definitely experienced that. And I don't think Turner is anywhere near the level of PG in terms of uh, <laughs> player-wise, obviously, and, and what he meant to the franchise. But I do think that he's still valuable to the franchise. And so um, I, I feel like out of all the, all the veterans, he's probably one of the most likely guys to stay because – Technically, he's not too old where he wouldn't fit into a semi-rebuild if they're going to go that route. Uh, they need his defensive presence to protect the rim. There's no doubt about it. They suck defensively this year. Uh, even at times when he was on the floor, they sucked. But uh, they got to get better perimeter defenders as well because this is a perimeter-driven league. But, I mean, if Turner can be healthy and if he can just maybe have a little bit more confidence in himself going into next year knowing he is the solo center, I think – that is something that I think the Pacers should at least look at before moving him in the offseason. To me, it would make more sense to potentially trade him at the deadline. Um, but like you said, it all comes down to that extension. Yeah, look, I mean, if you told me that like Malcolm Brown is going to cost them an average annual value of 22 or $23 million in his next deal, you could argue that he becomes a better asset once he signs the contract and is eligible to be traded uh, just because that's a number that I think teams aren't going to really blanch at. But if he wants to be in a bigger market or if he wants like, you know, to get max or near max money and there are some reckless spenders out there in free agency who are going to give it to them, I think you have to evaluate your options. And, you know, I'm sure you were going to ask this question, but one of the deals that I thought about um, putting in there and I just couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to do it. Uh, but Portland, if they're going to keep Damian Lillard, they are obligated to, it's not just win now, but like you can't just keep your pick. Like you just you can't keep this year's first round pick, even if it lands at number one, because there's just no one you're going to draft that helps elevate Damian Lillard's timeline. Damian Lillard is 32. Damian Lillard is really good. If you're going to groom a prospect for the next two to four years, then trade Damian Lillard. And if you're not going to trade Damian Lillard, 
is there a package to be built where they're willing to give up that draft pick, which mm-hmm. right now is slated to be six? That becomes, you know, if Indiana wants to rebuild, then you're going to have two top seven prospects coming into your program. That winds up being huge. I don't know if I would give that pick up for Turner alone if I was Portland, but there are just so many when you look at the different contracts Portland has and then what uh, Indiana has as well. Like maybe they're really – Malcolm Brogdon wouldn't be a terrible fit there after they lost – T.J. McCollum, they still have Anthony Simons, but Brogdon's bigger than both he and Damian Lillard. It's like maybe there's sort of a mega package to be built there. That just feels like a team, any bigger name that gets linked to the trade market, if they are really intent on keeping Damian Lillard, like then Portland needs to be in those discussions. That's an interesting one. I hadn't really thought too much about, you know, a, a, a package of Brogdon and Turner to Portland because to me, Portland seems like I, I, I can't really tell what they're going to do. Um, to me, it would make more sense to trade Dame and go into a complete rebuild if I was them. But at the same time, I, I don't know if I could pull the trigger if I'm the GM on trading away uh, the franchise player and Damian Lillard unless he was like openly okay with it. So um, is, is there any like confirmation that they're definitely going to try to build around him or is it just kind of like speculation that's what they're going to do? That's what they've just said, which we all know can be bunk. Uh, right. I think I think the assumption is that Portland's going to ride with Dame until he asks for out. And maybe there's just sort of a, you know, under the table agreement that he wants his max extension this year. Uh, That could be, I think it's like two years and infinite amounts of money. And he might just be content to get that. And then maybe a year or two down the line, like they'll try and move him then when he's age 33, age 34 and on this massive contract, which would be tougher. And it's also, I don't think they've removed as far as I know, the interim GM tag from Joe Cronin. So it's like, is this the person that's even going to be making the Damian Lillard decision? And you know, players have a way of changing their minds as well. I think it's fair to say Dame has said he wants to stay in Portland, so we shouldn't assume he wants out. Does the does his stance change if they don't put their first round pick into uh, trade discussions? Because the one thing that I just I can't buy yet, unless he comes out and says this explicitly, that he is signing up to be on a rebuilding Blazers team. Yeah. And as of right now, I think they can sell flexibility and sort of this unknown mystique because there's so many different directions they could go when you really get dig into it like outside of this year's pick they don't have a lot of assets to upgrade the roster they somehow dealt robert covington norman powell <laughs> cg mccollum and larry nance jr without getting back a first round pick in this year's draft that's like i i would call that like a pretty you know gross misuse of assets on the roster so um there's just they're a team to watch and if they're going to try and win they've needed someone like miles turner for roughly forever in the middle as opposed to use of nurkic is really good uh and he's been fine like when you need him in uh exclusively in drop coverage but miles turner can do all different sorts of things on on defense and he is like an all-world defender and so i don't think that he would turn you know damon turner plus anthony simons and josh hart Plus, you know, are they do making another trade? They have that huge trade exception. Are they trying to get Brogdon as part of this deal? I wouldn't still call that core a contender, but it's certainly maybe a more balanced allocation of your personnel equity when you're looking at defensive talent and offensive talent. Yeah, that's what's really interesting is that $20 million trade exception that they got in the C.J. McCollum trade. So they could easily apply that uh, to a Turner-Brogdon deal because they really don't have a ton of larger contracts outside of Dame besides Eric Bledsoe and Josh Hart. And uh, I would not assume Josh Hart would be a guy that'd be willing to trade uh, in a deal like this. But if you did like Eric Bledsoe, Nasir Little, Keon Johnson, and a, and a, and a first-round pick for Brogdon Turner, 
I know it's a lot of young players, and I know that's their first-round pick, but uh, I think that it could make some sense if they're trying to win now. But I, I just the, – what they did at the deadline was pretty atrocious. I mean, just absolutely got, you know, lamb-blasted by all the moves they made. I just wasn't a big fan of them. I, I wasn't mad at them getting Josh Hart to a certain degree, but everybody else was just kind of meh. And and what they the, traded for. So the, the CJ McCollum trade, even though the way the first round pick, uh, the first round pick commitments worked out, I think that was probably a little bit more defensible. If you want to argue that they should have broken up the backcourt duo sooner, maybe when McCollum had more trade value, fine. I guess I don't understand. Like Larry Nance Jr. was treated kind of as a throw in in that yeah. deal, which is wild. The Norman Powell trade is the one that. Oh, that sucked. <laughs> yeah, that was just that was flat out bad. And so yeah, okay, it helped you juice up your your lottery odds for this season. But like I said, you get rid of those four players. And I know Rocco wasn't great before he went to LA this year. You give up those four players. You better be getting like insured in a, an immediate first round pick. And no, I'm not counting Keon Johnson as an immediate first round pick. It just doesn't work that way. Right. You know, I completely agree with that. I think you ready showtime on May 3rd. Summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Another team, though, that could make some sense for a Turner trade is the Golden State Warriors. Uh, I don't know if you would like him on that team or not, but I think that there's been a lot of smoke, especially last year, about that. And obviously, James Wiseman has not been great uh, for them as well. So I think this could be an interesting one, depending on what the Pacers like in James Wiseman. But um, what are your thoughts on a Turner to uh, Golden State trade? I like the fit in Golden State. Just And I, I think Kevon Looney is solid. Uh, Turner can just do way more defensively even if maybe you trust Kevon Looney a little bit more as a, a rebounder or at least a tandem rebounder with Tremont Green I, I, where it gets really and also the thing with the Warriors I know they like to downsize you don't want that's sort of like their their ace up their sleeve is even when the death lineup was at its peak like before Kevin like when they first discovered the death lineup playing Draymond Green at the five was not necessarily the Warriors' preference it's not something they avoided but it was just break in case of you know i don't want to say an emergency but it was just situational or save it for the postseason with turner like there's even less of a need to go small certainly during the regular season because he is borderline matchup proof on defense and if he's hitting his threes uh he gives you better floor spacing than they've ever had with kavan looney next to to draymond green do i do i think that he could learn golden state system um that would be interesting because we've never seen him play that way but even andrew wiggins and, and Otto Porter Jr. at times, like, they've made passes that they never otherwise would have made unless they were on the Warriors. They've made off-ball movements they never would have otherwise made unless they were on the Warriors. So I like the fit, but I just don't know what you're, give, you're getting if you're Indiana. The, you know, do you value James Wiseman, who basically you know, has played a quarter season of NBA basketball? 
in his career and already has a, you know two serious injuries dating back to college under his belt. And what else are you giving up? Future picks Golden State can give you, but I can almost guarantee you right now they're only going to be further emboldened to keep Jordan Poole and Jonathan Kaminga uh, beyond this season, knowing that they, as of, we're recording this, they are the odds-on betting title favorites. And so in their minds, I'm sure that they've proved they can straddle the the two different timelines uh, at once, and that's going to make them way more reluctant to consolidate a, a Kaminga or a Poole, two players that they probably consider a, a massive part of their future right now. Yeah, and that's definitely interesting. I mean, looking at trades here, obviously, I, I think that if you did Turner by himself, Wiseman plus whatever uh, would probably work. Obviously, I don't know. It would probably have to be like uh, Kavon Looney, but I think he's a free agent, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so. I think you can get there if it's – I mean, I'm looking – like their players under contract, they don't have a lot. Uh, it, it could be Wiseman and Moody almost get you there, and then I – I like you're not going to give up Kaminga. So, yeah, I mean, it might even be tough. It's going to be tough for them to get there because they're not going to give up Jordan Poole. Um, yeah. So that, that would be a challenge in itself. They could, uh, if they're, if you can expand the trade, like to include Andrew Wiggins and then, yeah, that's what firing contract does Indy want to get rid of and will Golden State, you know, give up uh, Andrew Wiggins so that Indy can give them like a Heald or a Brogdon as part of this. But then that makes the, the deal itself a, a lot more complicated as well. Yeah, this complicated deal that I was just playing around with, I'm not saying that I would do this on the Pacers or the Warriors. I'm just saying makes it, it, it is a legal trade, according to the trade machine. Brogdon and Turner for Wiggins, Wiseman, Moody, and a first-round pick. Yeah, I mean, that would be interesting. I think you're – I can't believe I'm saying this about uh, Andrew Wiggins. You're probably significantly weakening your perimeter defense, but you know, Brogdon is, like, can be solid on there, and if Clay is back – like then yeah. you're probably not as worried about it. So if I was Golden State, I I mean you're keeping Jonathan Kaminga and Jordan Poole while adding Malcolm Brogdon, Miles Turner. I would you know they're they probably care about their luxury tax bills. I don't care about their luxury tax bills. I'd I'd probably do that to be honest with you if I'm Golden yeah. State. Well, they would actually save six million dollars uh, oh, on this on this deal. The Pacers would be taking a six point three million dollars back because. Uh, Wiseman is nine point six million plus Wiggins is thirty three point six. So I you're keep saying that Wiggins is going to make thirty three point six. Yeah, year. and then Moody is three point seven. So it's like if the Pacers really didn't want Moody and they wanted to stay back a little bit on the cap, but they have the cap space to make a trade like this because I think they have like twenty six million, twenty five million, something like that in cap space. So they have that extra space where they could absorb this contract. And like you said, Wiggins an expiring deal. Um, you know, if they don't believe in him and, and the fit, but they definitely need someone to play that small forward position in Indiana, like badly. And if they're not, uh, you know, getting a draft pick that, that plays that position, then maybe you try it out with Wiggins. I mean, he's pretty healthy for his career. So, I mean, that's the good thing is you don't have to worry about injuries with him uh, to a certain degree. But I, I think you could also trade him as well um, at the deadline with that expiring. Um, if there's somebody interested in him, that could be like, okay, uh, we saw what Wiggins did in the Warriors. We feel like, defensively he could be a help for us it's it's a good amount of money honestly it's just you know the Pacers would really have to sell themselves on we want to take a risk on James Wiseman uh, maybe similar to what they did with Jalen Smith this year uh, Moody was the pick right after them if they don't go for a shooting guard and they trade Brogdon would they be intrigued by Moody off the bench uh, a young player too that could really develop plus they get that other first round pick in, in this year's draft I, I just I'm not talking myself into it but I can see why it would make some sense yeah, what's I think what's really tough is that 
you're talking about the number 28 pick if it's this year's draft and golden state already has uh it's 2024 pick owed to memphis mm-hmm. so like it would have to be this year's pick if this deal is going to happen uh you know when the timeline that we're mapping out here and i uh, most of me feels like that's not enough for the pacers to do it if they actually like it, you have to love james Wiseman. that's the thing because he was considered this transcendent prospect and so if you are going to rebuild and you're getting someone who's very plug and play moses booty a first round pick and then a big that you envision being a part of your nucleus for the foreseeable future then it's definitely you could definitely spin that as a win for your franchise's direction but mm-hmm. james wiseman is such a mystery box that it would be on indie to determine like is he that caliber of prospect after missing so much of his nba career Absolutely. I mean, it, it's a little bit too risky for me if I'm the Pacers, giving up both Brogdon and, you, by the way. and, and Turner. In this I wouldn't deal. do it if I were the, the Pacers. Yeah, for sure. I, I think I'd be more enticed by this deal if maybe give it Buddy Heald, just because I feel like I feel like Turner and Brogdon being traded, if they are traded, make more sense to do in separate deals because you're going to get more bang for your buck, in my opinion, for what you get back for them in a separate deal than trying to find 40 some million dollars to come up with in a salary uh, for a trade like that. I mean, it's just, you don't see those kind of deals happen super often. Every once in a while, you'll see big contracts like that moved around, but it's, it's not something that usually happens. So as we wrap up, I know those are the two big names we talked about, because obviously they're probably the two best trade chips Pacers have player wise that they'd be willing to move on from, but Buddy Hill, TJ McConnell, any of those veterans make any sense to you that uh, could be dealt? And do you think there's any like trade value for them? I don't know. I'd be surprised if there was any like big value on TJ McConnell. I know he returned before the end of the season, but coming off that injury. And then also I think more importantly is how much do you want to pay for a backup point guard? And he's on the books for two guaranteed years um, at like a total of almost 17. And I think he's guaranteed like more than half of his salary in the final year of that, that contract. So that might not be something teams want to marry themselves to. I will die on the buddy healed bandwagon. Uh, his salary is declining. And if you're going to, is it an overpay for, let's just say two years and basically 40 plus million for uh, a, you know, a, a shooter? Sure. But if you're going to overpay for something, overpay for functional shooting, someone who could fly around, come off screens, hit difficult three-point looks, has been one of the most efficient three, high-volume three-point shooters since he, he entered the league. And so I could see there being some some value there. I don't know that they get a first round pick for him, but if they didn't, you know, if they're just interested in getting out of some money over the longer term, I think you could easily get an expiring contract for him. Maybe seconds, maybe there's even a young player uh, that that teams would be willing to give up because he makes sense just pretty much anywhere that needs shooting. Yeah. And I think the Pacers have done a good job of showcasing that he can be more than just a a shooter. Um, I know he enjoyed that part of the the Carlisle offense was, being able to be a playmaker, obviously you don't want him doing that all the time, but I, I, I do think that at, at times he actually was a pretty solid playmaker and, and saw the floor pretty well, but you know, he's always looking for a shot first. There's no doubt about that. So I don't want to oversell his playmaking abilities, but I will say that, uh, you know, there were some nice plays that he had and also some really boneheaded plays that he had uh, when he was kind of the uh, offensive initiator with the ball. So, uh, you know, I, I think McConnell is more than likely going to stay here with the Pacers. I think the Pacers really value what he brings, not just on the court, but off the court in terms of his leadership. And, um, you know, him coming back to play those last few games to me was an indication of his leadership with this team, trying to show the guys, hey, I'm healthy, I'm here to play. Um, where you see a guy like Brogdon, uh, who didn't want to play when he was able to play. So um, obviously two different situations there. Brogdon probably knows he might be more likely to be dealt. So 
sure, that makes a lot more sense. But in terms of being a team leader, if Brogdon is this true team leader that so many people have deemed him as, you feel like he would have at least played a little bit more towards the end of the season when they were pretty much throwing it away. But maybe that's just me reading it a certain way. But uh, I don't know if you read it that same way, but that's kind of how I read it. I think it's fair to at least speculate on whether that's the case. And look, the fact that that Mark Stein report comes out when it does and is in such like firm, definitive language, I think that speaks volumes about both parties in this situation, maybe how they view their relationship together moving forward. Absolutely, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking trades with us. Um, as we continue, Pacer fans, we will dive into some fake trade podcasts, but we're saving that till after the draft lottery to kind of know where the paces are at and where they're settled into uh, and where other teams are settled into and what trades could be available. So, Dan, thank you so much. Do you have anything you'd like to plug before I let you go? Uh, nothing out of the ordinary. Just be sure to check out the Hardwood Knox podcast, spelled exactly as it sounds, a podcast that covers the entire NBA at large. Absolutely. And with the playoffs going on right now, you guys do not want to miss out all on all that great coverage. And of course, we'll continue to hear rumblings about what teams do, coaches possibly getting fired, coaches possibly getting hired and so much stuff. And I know Dan will have all that covered. And how often do you guys do a mailbag podcast? Uh, we used to do it once a week. We're at one every other week right now because there's just so much other stuff to get to. But it's normally right. a, a once a week thing. Those are right. fun to do and people seem to love them. Yeah. So if you guys like mailbag podcasts, I know you guys like the Pacer ones, but if you would like to get more of a, a broader version or a broader, uh, not version, but a broader, uh, you know, what am I trying to say? Point of view of what the Pacers could do instead of just my Homer fandom and my co-host Homer fandom, uh, then I, I think, you know, checking out the Harbor Knox podcast and maybe sending a question wouldn't be a bad idea. But anyway, everybody, we will talk to you all uh, actually Saturday. We're going to have a Saturday show for you guys. So I hope you all have a great rest of your week. And we'll talk to you all this weekend.